Hello, hello, and good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing today? Good? Amen. A lot of new faces here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick, one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, We've been going through the book of Acts here since February, and so we're going to be in Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn them on or open them up to uh, Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Uh, The context of where we're at is we're still with Philip. Philip was a non-apostle. He was chosen in Acts 6 by the apostles to kind of oversee the daily distribution to care for uh, the widows in the community. And we see Philip has been used kind of by the Lord as a battering ram for the gospel to break out of the four walls of Jerusalem and go to Samaria. So the last two weeks, we've been with Philip in Samaria, and we've seen how he went both uh, declaring the kingdom that Jesus Christ accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and, uh, and also demonstrating that kingdom with signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit. So what we looked at is kind of how heaven met earth at Samaria. And what we're going to be looking at our church is how the Lord kind of wakes Philip up. Uh, he has an angelic uh, visitation, and he leaves Samaria, and he preaches the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch. And what we see something here is earth-shattering today. We see the gospel, the good news of King Jesus, not just staying in Judea or Samaria, but going to the ends of the earth. And so we got a lot of ground to cover. Um, but three things I want to look at before we read our text is this. I think three things that the Lord put on my heart that I want us to be reminded of. One, I want us today to be reminded of who is with us. Secondly, why he's with us. And thirdly, what he's done to be with us. Who's with us, why he's with us, and what he's done to be with us. And obviously, I'll unpack that further in the sermon. So what we're going to do, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're actually going to, I'm going to read the text. It's a lot, it's a lot there. I'm going to put on my great like book reading voice so you guys can track. Usually we ask you to read aloud with me. Uh, don't worry about reading aloud. You just stay focused. Really, really feel the text. Okay. I'm going to read this. We're going to pray and then we'll jump in. Does that sound good? You guys with me? All right. Giddy up. Here we go. Acts, Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, don't you just love verses like that? All right. Uh, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. What a beautiful picture. Philip and the eunuch. You know, in that moment, let me take a break. Strangers became brothers in Christ for all of eternity. 
right, in that moment. That's huge. That's huge. Let me get back to the text. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, this, this, is, this is awesome. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We say thank you. Thank you. We want to come before you grateful. We want to quiet our hearts and our minds to receive the good news that you have for us in your word. So Holy Spirit, would you come in power? Would you bring wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus? Would you open up blind eyes? Would you soften hardened hearts? Would you give us ears to hear the goodness for those of us that need a reminder of the lengths you've gone to purchase us, to rescue us from our sins, to reconcile us back to your heart, to give us everlasting and eternal life with you? Remind us, remind us, Holy Spirit. Show us Jesus, show us his love. We pray for a fresh filling, God, your spirit today. We need more of you, God. We don't need more programs or more good sermons. We need more of your presence. So come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, embolden us to be your witnesses to a world that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. So I pray that he would be magnified. Everything from start to finish today is about you, Jesus, and may that truly be uh, an accurate statement. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. And pray this in your name. Amen. All right, first thing I want to point us uh, to is, one, we need to be reminded of who is with us. Anybody here enjoy hiking? Any of you all big hikers? Where are you all at? Yeah, some of you? Okay, okay. Uh, I was a big hiker until I had three kids, and that sort of, you know, that hobby kind of died out. But Jen and I, when we were dating and, and engaged and, you know, newlyweds, uh, one of our hobbies, we love to go to the Shenandoah Valley and do some great hikes and all that stuff. And Jen's dad, if you know this about Jen, uh, her dad, I gotta, I gotta get this right. Her dad was a wildlife biologist for the U.S. Forest Service for 30 years in the Shenandoah Valley. And when we were dating, he would take us on hikes, these really cool hikes. Now listen, you're gonna see why I'm sharing this in a moment. When you go hiking with just me, I really have no wildlife biological intel to tell you, right? Pretty boring to go hiking with me. Maybe we can Google a good, a good view, right? But the journey on the way is pretty boring. It's like if Jen were to ask me, what's this? I'd be like, this is a pleasant shrub, you know, or I don't, this is a tree, uh, you know, like I don't, I got nothing, right? But listen, when you go hiking with Terry Slater, my goodness, the forest comes to life. I mean, like truly, it, it's, it's, it's like jaw on the floor. Like we're just hiking. Next thing I know, like he's on the ground you know, pulling like weeds out of the ground and he just like starts chewing on them and, you know, all this stuff. And, and it was so funny. And if you're watching, this is a true statement, Terry. Um, when we were dating, Jen and I were dating, he would pull like these berries off of these bushes and he'd be like, hey, Nick, eat this. And I'm going, man, this guy's trying to kill me. I'm dating his daughter. And like, <laughs> or, or, or even like, I was like, well, that thought did cross my mind. But secondly, I was like, this is the classic like U.S. Forest Service prank to like the young cadets of like, here's some explosive, you know, uh, digestive issues you're about to have by eating this. But let me just, like, no joke, but I was like, this could be my future father-in-law. I got to take it like a man, like, and, uh, you know, so he's like pulling stuff out of the ground and all this stuff. And then he's like listening and he's like, shh, you hear that? I'm like, no. And he's like, it's, 
is this is this kind of bird? And next thing you know, we legitimately, he's like doing like, you know, caw, like bird sounds and all this stuff. And a raven comes and lands on his shoulder. And, you know, it's just, it's truly, I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration, but not that big of an ex- exaggeration. And so the reason I share that is who you're with completely changes what you see. Who you're with completely changes what you hear. Who you're with completely changes what you do. Completely changes the journey. One of the tragedies in the Christian life is uh, we've kind of lost sight of who's with us. And often we think he's just waiting for us at the summit. He's just waiting for us on the other side. And that's the hope of Christ, the hope of glory. Amen. Hallelujah. But we forget that what, what if, just what if he's also with us on the journey? And what if that makes your Christian life shift from just arduous and boring to one of the most exciting adventures of your entire life because you're walking with living presence, the living God of the universe indwelling you, filling you. That's what we've been looking at in this act series is what Jesus Christ accomplished is he tore the veil. So now wherever the blood of the lamb of Christ is applied to human hearts, the Holy Spirit fills that person. So now the church, not the building, the people are the, are the, are the place, the temple of God, the place where God's presence dwells. That's who's with us, the living God, Holy Spirit. And listen, that changes your journey. That changes your journey. And the problem is, in theory, we all kind of believe, like if you're, whatever end of the spectrum on, if you're an Orthodox Bible-believing Christian, you believe that the Holy Spirit indwells you, right? You believe that God is with you, but practically, we're often confused. We have no idea what that means, right? To say that the Holy Spirit is inside of us is kind of like saying, uh, I know in theory I have a spleen, Right? But often we're like, I have no idea what it does or what it's for. You could take it, you could leave it. I'm not sure what difference it makes in my life. And there's a kind of a theological debate about the witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit to you, to, to believers. And the debate, and I'm stealing this from Martin Lloyd-Jones, so take it up with him if you have an issue with this, um, is between the indirect witness of the Holy Spirit and the immediate and direct witness of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. So those who hold to the indirect witness of the Holy Spirit to God's people believe this. They believe the Holy Spirit only speaks indirectly to God's people through the word of God. So those who hold to that have a very high view of the scriptures, which is great, have a very high view of the pulpit ministry of preaching God's word because they believe that, like, say, for instance, the Holy Spirit is a gun. The only ammo the Holy Spirit can use in your life to speak to you is scripture. So, so you have to load uh, the Holy Spirit. And, and, and when I say that, I'm curious. I'm like, well, what's, what, like, is it, this, is it the ESV, the NIV, like the KJV? Like, what translations does the Holy Spirit have to, you know? Anyways, but that's the indirect witness, is that um, the Holy Spirit will only speak indirectly to us through the Scriptures. That's, the, that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. That's the function of the Holy Spirit, is, is, is breathing life on the Scriptures to us. That's well and good. Like, uh, there's great things about that about that. A high view of God's word. You want to hear God speaking? Open up your Bibles and see the revelation of God's heart to humanity, what he's like, okay? Um, the only small problem with this view, and I say this, God forgive me if this is whatever. I try to say this in love. The only problem with this view is there's not a verse in all of scripture to support it. Just a small problem, okay? And, it, and, if, and if you disagree with that, then, then come and talk to me and tell me which verse it says that, that the Lord has sovereignly handcuffed himself to only operate through the preaching of his word. There's no verse. There's no chapter. There's no verse. And in contrast to that, what we hold to at the transit and what Martin Lloyd-Jones held to is the immediate and the direct witness of the Holy Spirit to the people he fills. 
God with us means, shocker, God's with us. Holy smokes. And those who hold this position, yes, believe God has spoken authoritatively and finally scripture is sufficient for all of life and practice. We have a high view of God's word. And yes, we have a high view of God, the Holy Spirit, and his indwelling presence that he very well can speak to you in dreams, in visions, audible voice, internal promptings, impressions. He speaks. He's alive. He's alive, church. Story after story, we in this church could share of dreams or words or impressions he's given because he's on the move. He's alive. We're not alone on the journey. We're not alone on the journey. It's beautiful. And the only problem with this view, there's a problem, is the scriptural evidence to support it is so overwhelming it's hard to pick and choose which passages you want to use to prove the immediate and direct witness to the Holy Spirit to people's lives. It's, it, go read Genesis to Revelation and see the heart of God, that God is a God who speaks to his people. It's, it's the Bible. Go read Acts, right? The evidence is so overwhelming. That's the only problem with that view, is it's a crystal clear revelation of how God operates with his people. And I'm mildly fired up about it. And the plus side of this view, in my humble opinion, one, it's true. And it's what Jesus intended for his church. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he poured out the precious promise of the Father upon his church at Pentecost, filled them with the Spirit. Separated sinners, reconciled to God, and you see this beautiful renewal of a covenant relationship at Pentecost where the Spirit of God fills his temple, fills his people, and he stays. He doesn't leave. The same Holy Spirit Philip is operating in this text, here's a shocker, is the same Holy Spirit who fills us. He's not a different Holy Spirit. He's not a Holy Spirit of the past, a Holy Spirit who's retired, a Holy Spirit who's changed up his strategy. The same Holy Spirit that operated in the book of Acts, is the same Holy Spirit today. The reason I share all that is it's glaringly obvious in this text that the only reason, watch this, the only reason the gospel went to this eunuch and then to Ethiopia as a whole is because God spoke immediately and directly to Philip. Watch this. If God doesn't speak, ain't no Ethiopians getting saved in our text today. Right? If God doesn't speak immediately and directly, and then we can say, well, thank God Philip didn't hold to the indirect witness of the Holy Spirit because he would have disobeyed the prompting of the Lord to go and do all this, right? I mean, look at, look at what God does in this text. The Lord sends an angel, an angelic messenger from heaven. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. All this angel gives him, you'll often discover this, uh, when you try to discern the voice of the Lord, there needs to be discernment. This is often kind of vague and often kind of subtle. And all the angel gave him, it's amazing, you got an angelic visitation. The angel just gave him a road and a compass point. Like, like, like an angel appears at your bedside, hey, go westbound on Franconia Road to, towards Burke. And you're like, to what end? Just go do it. And then I'll show you, okay? You're just driving, you're waiting for the, you know, you're waiting for your next, the GPS to, to, to turn you the other way. And then, and then secondly, we see in our text is the Holy Spirit, oh, the Holy Spirit speaks immediately and directly to Philip. Verse 29, and the Spirit 
God, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinitarian Godhead, who, who fills, indwells, lives with, abides in Philip, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And the third thing we see is the Holy Spirit airless Philip to Azatus. This is crazy. Verse 39, and when they come up out of the water after the baptism, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So obviously that's nuts, right? We see uh, Philip, you know, uh, gets all his, his marching orders, uh, accomplishes his mission, and then it's like the Apaches come, you know, and then all of a sudden he's airlifted out of the waters to, uh, to Azotus. Just crazy. So all, the reason I share all that is it's easy for us you read commentaries or you start to preach, you start to work on the sermon and you're like, oh, it's about the, there's two characters in this text. It's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip's awesome. And so the application is just be more like Philip, right? And listen, there's a, there's a key player in this text, a key actor, a key leader, a key guider, and his name is the Lord. And Philip, yes, Philip, yes, is obedient. Yes, Philip is articulate with the gospel to be able to preach that through the Old Testament scriptures, the prophet Isaiah. But at the end of the day, uh, Philip is just yielding to the Lord, to the prompting of the Lord. He's just following instructions that God is giving him, specific instructions for specific people. And uh, watch this map real quick. Let's pull up this map. If you can pull that up, that'd be awesome. Okay, so uh, anyways, I'll, I'll point over there. Uh, I'll do over here. So you see Samaria. This is where the kingdom of God has come. This is where Philip is. The angel appears and says, go all the way down this desert road. That's like roughly, I think, 100 miles. So, so Philip goes, he gets one word from an angel, comes all the way down here. He ends up in, in Gaza, this kind of area where you know, the, 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 there's a convergence of you know, Egypt and Ethiopians coming north and the others going south. And this is where he encounters the Ethiopian. And then he goes all the way, the airlift, the chopper comes and drops him. And as it does, and then he goes all the way north to preach the gospel town by town until he gets to Caesarea. And you see all the activity on that. The reason I show that map is you see all the activity. You see all the travel. You see all the effort that's, uh, that went into saving and, 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 uh, and rescuing one man. And the reason there's so much travel on that map, simply put, is because of the Lord. It's because of God speaking and God moving. This is what J.D. Greer has to say about Acts. A quick read of Acts reveals that the Spirit of God is the primary actor. He guides, he speaks, and he moves. I love this line. The disciples are simply trying to keep up. It becomes readily clear that the Spirit, not them, is the one accomplishing the mission gave them in Acts 1.8. It becomes readily clear that the Spirit, not them, is the one accomplishing the mission Jesus gave in Acts 1.8. And the reason I share all that is because the story of my life is a journey. I felt like the Christian life was a journey and I was alone. Maybe I knew I believed I was alone um, or I, I believed that I wasn't alone, but I was living my life like I was alone. Kind of like a practical atheist. There's a lot of us in the church today and we all, I still struggle with this where we live like God doesn't exist. And if he does exist, I don't even need to talk to him because he's never going to intervene in my life. He's never going to speak. He's never going to provide. He's never going to lead. He's never going to guide. And so they were on a very lonely journey as a church. And then there's been this renewal in my life these past four years. It started with a mentor friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine. And I was in this, uh, uh, I was in the middle of this really kind of stressful season. I was in, uh, I was in the middle of this house flip. And my buddy looks at me and, uh, and I'm talking to him and he goes, have you invited Jesus into that, that house flip? And I looked at this dude like he was nuts. Probably like some of you are looking at me right now. And I go, I go, wait, I do what now? And he goes, have you invited Jesus into what you're doing? And I said, 
can I do that? Does he care? About, is that a thing? I was like, dude, I have the scriptures, like be a good steward, invest, work hard. You know, I have the principle, you know, I, I got the word. And he's like, he's like, have you invited the living God to come empower you and provide for you and just invite him into that space and see what happens? And I thought he was nuts. I didn't even know that was on the table for believers. I really didn't. I, I didn't. I, I was just like, God doesn't care about that, right? And then I took him at his word. And this was the thread that began to just blow my mind as I began to see the Lord provide in crazy ways, like in crazy ways with this, this house flip. As I, as I began to pray, like, hey, Lord, here are the needs today, this week, so on and so forth. And then I'd hear, and then, and then as I would pray and I'd see the Lord answer the prayer, then I would feel this prompting. I began to discern the voice of the Lord where the Lord would begin to speak and move on my heart. It was this beautiful kind of like budding this relationship. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and it's one of the most exciting things on the planet. So practically, practically, what does it look like? you know, to operate, to, to be filled with and understand the practicality of what the indwelling presence of God looks like in our lives is, is, is simply put, invite him into everything. In all things, pray without ceasing. What is that? It's relationship. It's walking in the, in the forest with Terry Slater. And like what's amazing, what's amazing when you go in the woods with Terry Slater, going back to the illustration at first, is there is a wonder and there's an anticipation and there's an excitement that comes in your journey. To the point that I feel, I feel kind of stupid sometimes as I'm talking to Terry and I'm like, you know, you're walking and you're just so blown away by everything he knows. And you're like, Terry, what's this? He's like, Nick, that's a pine tree, bro. Like, <laughs> what's this? Oh my, I've never seen that bug before. We call that a cricket, you know, like not a big deal, you know? But like, oh, okay, cool, cool, you know? But there's this childlike wonder and excitement. And my, <laughs> my encouragement to y'all would be this. Is, is, is where in your life do you think there's a secular versus sacred divide in your life? Where do you think in your life God doesn't care about your commute? God doesn't care about what you have going on at work today. God doesn't care about what you have to do parenting or, you know, invite him into those spaces, right? One of the most precious times I've seen the Lord speak to me is, is I'm on a three-hour tantrum with one of my kids and I can't figure it out. And I just shoot up a flare and ask the Lord and the Lord tells me something that I would have never done. And it, and it was beautiful. It was exactly what my daughter needed in that moment. Invite him in. Scriptures would say, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. What is prayer? It's relationship with the living God who's with you. And listen, listen. They'll teach you in seminary not to listen when you pray. Bologna sandwiches, listen. And, 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 and see what comes to mind. See what impressions you get in prayer. Because one of the beautiful things that, that puts rocket fuel on your prayer life is when God begins to meet you in powerful ways in your prayer closet. To the point that to the point that you want to be there, to the point that prayer is in drudgery, but but prayer is abiding with the living God of the universe who meets you there because he's alive and he's with you. The living God, the presence of God with his people, right? It's beautiful. What we see in the Exodus story is his presence was the one guiding them by the fire by night, cloud by day, leading and guiding them. It's beautiful. And I think sometimes, and I'll be getting to some other stuff here, other points here, but um, sometimes it's hard to discern the voice of God because of the subtlety and the vagueness of how he speaks. And sometimes God's voice sounds like just kind of thoughts that flash upon my mind. And no one, of course, we can get in serious error. There needs to be love. There needs to be discernment, of course, right? But let me just share a story from this past week. Uh, so two weeks ago, we do this thing at my house called Wednesdays with the Word where me and the community group leaders, and now it's open invite to whoever wants to join us. Uh, we make coffee at 6 a.m. We gather at my house and we dive into uh, the scripture text we're going to preach that Sunday. 
and um, it's five, it's like 5.50 a.m., okay? I have not had my coffee yet. I'm doing my pour over thing, getting ready for everyone. I have not had my, sometimes I question my salvation before my cup of coffee, okay? Joe Workman comes into my house at 5.50 a.m. and he's like, man, I'm fired up about Jesus, man. He's just like, I'm fired up. And I'm like, bro, it ain't even 6 a.m. What are you fired up about, man? Like, there's nothing to be excited about before 6 a.m. And he's like, dude, I just woke up and I was like, I asked the Lord, hey, where are we going today? What's the assignment? And the Lord, the Lord put on my heart, Dunkin' Donuts. And so then I went and I'm like, I come and I'm like, like making the coffee, like trying to like, you know, wake myself up. And, uh, and he goes, I go to Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm praying because I thought the Lord led me there. Like, what's the assignment? Hey, go to Dunkin'. And uh, the Lord highlights this, this car, this, this work van. And I just go pull up to the, I just pull up to the guy, roll down my window and says that, you know, I feel the Lord told me to come over here and pray for you. Is anything I pray for? And the guy starts like breaking down weeping. Uh, his brother just died three days ago, potentially murdered. And the dude gets out of the car and at like 5.30 a.m., before Joe's had a cup of coffee, mind you, they're holding hands and praying. And God, God sent, like God's love coming through Joe for this stranger he never met. God sees you. God knows you. He loves you. He's with you. They exchange his contact info, you know, all that stuff. And then Joe comes back like, oh my gosh, you know, like just all fired up. And, and that's why we want to learn to follow the Spirit's guiding. Why? Because it leads me to the, my, my second point. Is as we begin to discern the voice of the Lord and he speaks, and he speaks because he loves us, it's relational, but we also see is that he speaks often to us in order to speak through us in love for other people. And that's what we need to be reminded of today as well, is we need to be reminded of why, why the Holy Spirit is with us. Of course, God, Holy Spirit is with us because he loves us. And the Holy Spirit was sent to help us and empower us to live the Christian life. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is saying to his disciples in the upper room is shocking. He is saying that the Holy Spirit inside you is better than me, God incarnate, beside you. He's saying the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, it is, he says, it is to your advantage, disciples, that I go. Jesus, the word that became flesh, that I go, why? So that I can send the helper, because if I don't go, the helper doesn't come. If I don't ascend to the Father, I don't pour out the Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside you better than Jesus beside you, is what he's saying. I saw that line from J.D. Greer. Take it up for it with him, all right? Beautiful. And so as we learn, what we see here, as we learn to abide and, 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 and um, have this relationship with God, he'll convict us of sin. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, remind us of Jesus and the love that God has for us. But what we see is that, yes, the Holy Spirit is with us and for us, and yes, he is for others through us. He's with us, he's for us, and yes, he's also for others through us. And this is exactly what we see in our text. All the revelation that was given to Philip was for somebody else. It was for somebody else. Everything the Lord said was for one man hundreds of miles away that God wanted to touch and to save and to show his love for. And what Luke highlights in our text is that this one man was not quote unquote from, from Philip's tribe. Um, meaning this kind of outside of divine revelation in the first century, uh, you probably wouldn't see Philip and this guy just yamming it up and chatting it up. Okay. There was key differences between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. One we see, obviously, they were ethnically different. He was from Ethiopia, uh, a Gentile. Uh, Philip was a Jew, Jews and Gentiles. There's a distinction there. Where even though this Ethiopian eunuch was coming to worship uh, Yahweh, the Jews would keep their distance from Gentiles. And if he was a, a eunuch, that would mean that he couldn't enter the inner courts of the temple. 
So there's still separation there. There's a difference there. He's Ethiopian. Secondly, we see he was a eunuch. That means he was castrated. Uh, well, it could mean that he very well could be castrated. Usually eunuchs uh, at, at, at historically were royal trusted surgeons, not surgeons, royal trusted servants, okay? And usually those royal trusted servants were eunuchs, were castrated um, for, uh, you know, anyways. And so physiologically, like, like think about think about some of the, the gender stuff we're dealing with today is look at the love that Jesus has for this man, for this man who is completely physiologically different than um than Philip, right? You want to talk about gender confusion from a young age, if that's true of this guy? And look at the love that Jesus has. First century, mind you, first century. First century, this is, this is radical in the first century. Radical to a Jew. Gospel going to a Gentile, going to an Ethiopian, going to a eunuch. And then secondly, we see socioeconomically that um, this guy was the royal treasurer of what we know to be historically the Nubian kingdom in Ethiopia, overseeing all the treasure of the king. So all that to say, not in a million years would Philip on his own volition go and talk to this guy. But what we see is that it was Jesus who wanted Philip to talk to him. It was Jesus who specifically sent Philip to hear the good news of his love for him, to trust in him and be reconciled to God, to preach the good news of Jesus to this, to this Ethiopian eunuch is this is it's not just reconciliation to God. That's a, obviously one of the key things in the gospel is we get God, but also also adoption into his eternal family. So in an instant, when Philip goes and shares the gospel with this man through the prophet Isaiah, those two guys who were once strangers now become eternal blood-bought brothers, brothers in Christ. And that's the, the scandal of the new covenant community that Jesus is building in Acts. The first century scandal is we see people from all different walks of life, different languages, different cultures, different skin colors, different economic status, different political stances, different genders. We're, we're not only being reconciled to God, but now we're considered eternal family. We're considered one in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for we for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You're here today and you love Jesus. We are one. You're my brother. You're my sister forever. No matter where you're from, who you voted for, you know, all of those things that could divide us, the church, we are one in Christ Jesus in one body. He's reconciled us to the Father in one body. And what Galatians 3.28 teaches us and what our text today teaches us is the heartbeat of Jesus, the love that Jesus has for the world, for God so loved the world, people of every tribe and nation and tongue, that he came running, came running for us. And everyone gets an invite to feast at the king's table, but what's important for us to remember is the way, church, the way they get invited is through us. That's how they get invited to the table, right? It's through us. Philip was an ambassador to King Jesus, was an ambassador to the kingdom of God. He's going to Samaria, and then he's going to this Gentile, and, and that's how the kingdom goes. That's how the invites go. The Lord fills his church and then commissions his church to go be my witnesses, testify of my goodness, my love, my sacrifice, my rescue for humanity, 
from their sins. Reconciliation. God, go tell them. It's us. It's us. And so what we learn here is the reason the Lord is with us, obviously, is his love for us. But the reason the Lord is with us, how we'd ask, answer that question, is because there's more people that he wants with him. Right? And the Holy Spirit empowers us to go and invite people in power by preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, demonstrating the gospel to them. And so, yes, what we see here is, yes, Philip listened to the Lord, right? He had that relationship, and the, 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 the revelation was vague. Go, go chase down that chariot, and he goes. But then, watch this. We also see this, and I want to say this. It, it, we, we need to understand the, the high calling it is that Jesus Christ has entrusted to us. The, the precious good news, the gospel that he's given us is a high calling. It's a high calling. And so, yes, Philip went and chased down the chariot, but when he went down, when he went there and the guy's reading out loud uh, from the prophet Isaiah, he doesn't scratch his head and go, man, I haven't read Isaiah in like six years. I have no idea what that means. You know? Like Philip knew his scriptures, right? He loved the Lord with all of his mind. And yes, his heart, and yes, his soul. But what we see is that Philip was able through the prophet Isaiah, that scroll was written, uh, that word was given centuries before the life of Jesus. And this guy's asking, goes, who does this speak of? Tell me. And, he, and he's just telling him everything that Jesus revealed to him in that 40-day window between Jesus' resurrection and ascension, where Jesus opened up the Old Testament scriptures, kind of told them about the Old Testament scriptures, but about, but about how it all foretold of King Jesus coming, the Messiah. And so Philip knows his scriptures enough to say, this is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God. The spirit of God came upon Jesus at his baptism. He was anointed, Luke 4, to preach good news of liberty to those in captivity, to rescue those who are bound by sin and the demonic. And this is who this passage speaks of, Jesus Christ, give your life to him. He's ascended. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and he wants to know you. That's why he sent me to you. This king wants to know you and wants you to be feasting with him at his table with us forever. That's what he's doing there. So yes, he's listening to the Lord. And then when he gets there, he, he knows the scriptures enough. So let's search ourselves approved. Let's search the scriptures as one approved of, of if we need to dust off um, some apologetics work or, or as, we're, as we're trying to uh, uh, love our neighbor and maybe they're from a certain background or maybe they're secular human, there's great resources we can we can study and we can uh, go to to kind of show ourselves a proof so we can articulate the gospel in, in a beautiful way because it's a high calling and it's actually what Jesus has entrusted to us, the ministry of reconciliation that he's entrusted to us. So that's where we see God, why he's with us, Acts 1-8. We see that the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be witnesses and witnesses to the nations. And we see through Philip the gospel coming to the nations. To this one man, the gospel goes back to Ethiopia, and the nations are glad. This man leaves rejoicing. And the last thing, and I'll wrap up with this, is we need to be reminded of what our God did to be with us. We need to be reminded of the height and the length and the width and the, the widths and the depths of his love, what he did to be with us. And so what's striking in this text, what's striking in this text, it's really, don't, we don't want to focus on Philip's obedience, at the cost of forfeiting the love of Jesus for this Ethiopian eunuch. Because what's shocking in this text is the heights and the lengths and the depths that Jesus went to save and rescue one man. One man. An angel is loosed from heaven. There's a whole lot of things angels can be doing, right? 
like an angel gets loose from heaven, probably could be something else, but appears at Philip's feet and says, go! There's someone who's ready. This is why it's so important to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's because, yes, we're called to go, you know, and share our faith, but the Holy Spirit will highlight those who are ready, whose hearts are ready. They're searching. And often in our lives, we look at people, you know, and we think this person's so far away. I could never go up to them, but the Holy Spirit can come and say, this dude's ready. You don't realize how close he is. And it was the case for this Ethiopian eunuch. He was searching. And the Lord knew that in his sovereignty, he put Philip in on his, on his plan of, of his sovereign, you know, uh, work to save this man, and Philip goes. So an angel appears, and then Philip has to travel on a desert road with no air conditioning, right? That stinks, you know, no Ubers, you know, maybe he's walking or maybe he's on a camel. Anyways, uh, he's got a desert road. And then he gets to Gaza, and he listens, and the Lord says, go chase that down that chariot. And this is what's beautiful. Is what we see in verse 30. What I love about this, he locks eyes. He locks eyes, he sees, and the Holy Spirit goes, That's the, this is the entire reason you're here. Is that man in that chariot? Philip hears that. What's his response? What's his response? Verse 30 says this, and Philip ran. He ran. Beautiful. That just rocked me in my office earlier today. I actually broke down weeping. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. He ran. There's a sense of urgency for the goodness of Jesus to save this man. He didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. He didn't question the voice. He's chasing this guy down, right? And then when he goes there, that dude's life has changed forever. Ethiopia has changed forever. And then and, and Philip's life has changed forever, right? Beautiful picture. And he ran. He ran. And I think that, that picture of Philip running is symbolic of Jesus running, Jesus' pursuit. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The feet of Jesus running after this man. In our text today, we get that beautiful picture of the ferocious, diligent pursuit of Jesus Christ seeking and saving the lost, the great hound of heaven through Philip was pursuing this man. Luke 15, one through six. Love this parable. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, uh, to Jesus. And, the, and the religious folk, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, right? And for our, we don't want to read into the text, but for our text today, the Pharisees very well, if they saw what was happening with Philip, would say, this man welcomes Ethiopian eunuchs to feast with him. And so Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And watch this. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. In our text, it says the Ethiopian eunuch left rejoicing left rejoicing that he found salvation in Jesus, left rejoicing after his baptism. Newsflash, he wasn't the only one rejoicing that day. Jesus Christ, heavenly host, popping champagne, on the edge of their seat, looking at Philip. Come on, Philip, you got it. Come on, come on, this moment, come on. We've been waiting. Let's go, let's go. Boom! I just love it, love it. And I'll wrap up with this story. Uh, last week, uh, my kids are, are, are learning how to ride their bikes. My oldest is five and a half. My second oldest is three and a half. And we'll go on, on little bike convoys around our neighborhood, a little townhouse community. We don't really go far. We just kind of do laps in and out of cul-de-sacs, all that stuff. And the convoy always goes with Kelsey, 
who's five and a half, and then Stephanie, who's still got training wheels, and then me behind them. And, uh, you know, we got some rules and, and all that stuff that they follow, and it's all great, but Kelsey gets pretty far ahead of us. And it's hard to keep up because my precious Stephanie, uh, like, God bless her heart, it can get easily distracted, okay? We're going, and I'm like, I'm like on her bumper, just like honking the horn, like, let's go, you know? Like, Kelsey's getting away, and, and she'll see like a butterfly and stop, and be like, oh, it's a butterfly, you know? And Kelsey's like going 80 miles an hour, and, and, I, and what's hilarious is, is every time we see a stop sign on the sidewalk, Stephanie goes, stop, and, and Kelsey's booking it. I'm going, She's like, S-T. Oh, and I'm like, stop, Kelly. You know, like, just, we got to go. And so we had this moment where, where, you know, we're following Kelsey. She gets in the cul-de-sac, and we're, we're right behind her. We're like, you know, like 10, 20 years old, but we're around a corner. And she thought, I guess, I know this now, she thought that she lost us. And I didn't know this, but she booked it back home. She knew how to get home. We, we, we weren't that far from her house. Okay, so she, she, like, she knows the neighborhood. Books it back home. I didn't know she booked it back home. And so I'm like, Kelsey, Steffi, you know, uh, I, I finally am like, Steffi, I got to leave you. You stay here and I got to go find her. And I go around, I go like, you go around the corner here, go around the corner here. I'm shouting. I'm like, where in the world did she go? And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be cool, right? I'm trying to be like, okay, like, you know, like, don't panic, you know, all that stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's nothing. And, and then I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm yelling, yelling. I'm like, there's no way she could have gotten that far ahead of us that quickly. There's just no way. And then there comes a moment where I'm thinking, okay, holy smokes, like I'm looking and, and, and the longer I wait, the longer potentially she's far away from us. And so I'm like, I ditch my bike. I grab Steffi off of her bike and I'm like, I'm going home. And if she's not home, I'm getting in the car, calling the police and we're doing, a, we're doing like search and rescue mission like stat. And the thought of separation from my daughter, uh, the thought of separation from my daughter and other thoughts that were maybe wrestling my head made it easy for, for me to lay aside my bike and my daughter's bike, and I'm, I pick up my daughter, and I'm just huffing and puffing and running out of love for my daughter. Just, I just got to check, is she home? And she's home. Everything's great. You know, it was beautiful. But I couldn't help but think as I was preaching today, and I really the Lord, the Lord called, brought this to mind, I believe, is that when it says in Philippians 2 that Jesus left his throne, and he laid, us, uh, laid us aside his divine privileges, and he came running for us, it was, an, it, was, it, was, it was, yes, that was a huge deal, the condescension of the king of the universe to come for us, to die on the cross for us. But the reason why, the reason why was the thought of eternal separation from you, the thought of you being eternally separated from his presence. It was, it was, it was like me, let me lay this aside, this bike aside, and let me come running to save and to seek out that which is lost. And what our text today teaches us is that when Jesus, uh, the, the, uh, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the way he came running to us out of love for us is he ran full sprint to the horrors of the cross, to the horrors of the cross, so that we could be saved from the horror of our sin and separation from him. And this is how our text ends. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is the shepherd 
who came running for you. He came running for you. If you're here today in Christ Jesus, the only reason you're in Christ Jesus is because he came running for you, for you specifically. Saved us from separation, eternal separation from him. Enveloped us in his love. And the way and our salvation was through his crucifixion, through his death. Our life came through his death. We're the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was placed on the cross, and he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin upon him and bore the punishment we deserve. He endured the forsakenness of the Father so that you and I forever could dwell in perfect fellowship with the Father. And he did it out of love, like a father with tears in his eyes, running after his lost son or his lost daughter. That's the good news of Jesus Christ and his love for you. And if you're here today and you do not know that love, this is why you were created. There is salvation, there is eternal life in nobody else but Jesus Christ, who came for you for love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to pay your penalty so you could be reconciled, your sins washed away, white as snow, and you restored to fellowship with God. And so I encourage you today, if you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, never confessed him as Lord and asked him to forgive you of your sins, would you do that today? And I hope the Holy Spirit would, would show you and reveal to you that our God is a God of ferocious love, ferocious, ferocious love, that someone, a king, left his throne, laid, a, laid aside his divine privileges to die for you because where you are is where he wanted to be for all of eternity. Let's pray. And Ben, you can come on up. Father, we're so thankful. So thankful, God, for your love for us. The height and the length and the width and the depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus. I ask, Holy Spirit, you come upon your church right now. For any lies that are being <clears throat> sent their way about their unworthiness or any lies about your love for them, I pray, Lord, that you would show them Jesus running running to the cross to save them, running after them, the shepherd that leaves the 99 and chases down the one. And Lord, I thank you for the people in this room that, that, that the only reason they're here is because you chased them down, God, and grabbed a hold of their lives and changed their destinies forever because that's what you do, Jesus. You save and you seek out and you rescue the lost and you throw us over our shoulders and you bring us home. You bring us home to the love of the Father. What a great God we serve. What a great God we worship. We bless your name today. Holy Spirit, etch that in stone. May we be reminded of what you've done for us. Move through all the doctrine, the theological uh, verbiage, and show us your heart. Holy Spirit, reveal the heartbeat of Jesus. The good news of a Savior sent to rescue us rescue us from separation, rescue us from the clutches of the enemy, rescuing us from eternity without him. Thank you, Jesus. Remind us of what we've been saved from and remind us of what we've been saved to, God. And thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence with us, Holy Spirit. 
I ask for an increase, God, in, in your presence with our lives. Luke 11, you, you teach the disciples to pray. Uh, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so our prayer is give us more of you, God, so we can give others more of you. Please fill us with your spirit, God, so we can be bold witnesses to a lost and dying world that you love, Jesus, that you love. So send us this week as your ambassadors. Fill us with your love and fill our mouths, Lord God, with your gospel and your good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.